For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirks, one of the associate pastors, and uh, last week I started a new series on, on uh, the sovereignty of God, and obviously we'll just continue that on this week and uh, the next couple of weeks yet. Before we get started, I want to take the first five or ten minutes here. I just want to uh, review and recap a couple of very important things we talked about last week. And again, just a reminder, I mean, all these messages are, are building on each other, um, but if you weren't here... Uh, you can listen to or watch all of our messages for free online, okay? So we're not trying to get more money out of you or anything. Uh, you just go to our website, www.mycellphone.com, and you can uh, catch up on last week's message. But anyway, I just do want to do a quick review here um, because we have a lot of confused thinking about the sovereignty of God in a Christian church. And uh, like on the one hand, uh, I mean, everybody would agree, yeah, God is sovereign. Uh, but then on the other hand, there are many areas of life uh, and theology where we would actually not agree that God is in charge of those things. And so in this series, I'm trying to define out for you very clearly from the Bible uh, what is the sovereignty of God, what is God in charge of, and all those sorts of things. So, but a quick review from last week, just to make sure we're, we're all together and on the same page. Uh, first thing we looked at last week is, the fa- is what does the word sovereignty mean, biblically speaking? And what we found is that the word sovereignty simply means king or kingdom. That's, that's all it means, all right? And so, again, uh, some Christians, when they hear God's sovereignty, they think of like a complicated, abstract, philosophical discussion about free will and all that sort of stuff. That's not what, that's not what this is about. The sovereign, sovereignty in the Bible just means king or kingdom, okay? So in this whole series that we're talking about this month, the sovereignty of God, all we're talking about is the fact that God is a king and he has a kingdom. That's what we're talking about, Okay? He is a king, and he has a kingdom. Now, of course, in the next question we began to look at last week is, um, okay, what is he king over? And what does his kingdom uh, consist of? And uh, essentially, he is king over uh, everything, okay? He's king over uh, everything. And uh, one of the things we looked at last week is the fact that God is ruling over the nations of the world. So God is right now ruling over all of the nations. He is king over Canada. He is king over the United States. He's king over Russia. He is king over all, he's ruling over all the nations of the world uh, right this very instant. Now, this is, this is part of what I said before. Uh, most of us Christians, on the one hand, we have very confused thinking about the sovereignty of God. On the one hand, you would all agree with me when I say God's king over everything. Oh yeah, that sounds like it's in the Bible somewhere. Um, but when I say specifically God is king over the nations right now, he's king over Canada, he's king over Russia, he's king over the United States, then some of us aren't quite so sure. And, uh, and uh, many Christians, when they actually, I mean, if you really push them on this, when is God going to be king over the earth? Most Christians think of God becoming king over the earth in the future when Jesus comes back, right? That's what most Christians, if you really push, push us theologically, when is God going to be king? We wouldn't say he's king right now. We would say he's going to be king when Jesus comes back. Now, it's true, as we talked about last week, when Jesus comes back to the earth, uh, some things are going to change. He's going to bring God's, he's going to set up God's throne right here on the earth. Like right now, it's in heaven where we can't see it. He's going to set it up here. We're also going to get a resurrected bodies. He's going to do away with all sin and causes of sin and wickedness. And that is going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. But the truth is, according to Scripture, very clearly, that, I mean, that's a change in God's rule and the way he's dealing with people, but he is just as much in charge right now today over the nations of the world and the world as he will be in the future. He's just as much in charge today. Jesus is not going to be more king of the earth in the future than he is now. He's already king of the earth right now. So, of course, then that brings up the question, well, if God's in charge right now, how come we see so many evil, wicked things happening around the world all the time. I mean, Chris, how can you say God is king over the nations right this very moment when this very moment all around the world, many wicked things are being done, no doubt, right now at this very moment and every moment of every day all the time? How can you say God is in charge when these things are happening? And so the mistake that you have to realize here, this is really important, this is very, very important. The mistake we human beings make, Christians make this and non-Christians make this, the mistake we human beings make is we look out at the world and we see in the short term, we see wicked people temporarily getting away with wicked things. And, and the, the conclusion we come to is we say, well, if wicked people are getting away with wicked things right now, that must be evidence that God isn't in charge. And that is actually the wrong conclusion to take. The fact that wicked people are getting away with wicked things right now is not proof that God isn't in charge. It's proof of his almost unthinkable mercy. 
He is in charge right now. He is just as much in charge right now as he will be in the future when Jesus physically comes to earth and sets up his throne here. But, in, but right now, because of his mercy, he is allowing, and it's almost unthinkable when you think of how holy and how powerful he is, it's almost unthinkable level of mercy that he is allowing wicked people more time to repent. And so right now, uh, around the world, God in his dealings with humankind is, is right now uh, working in a tension, a self-imposed tension. Nobody imposes anything on God. He imposes it on himself. But right now, God is working with the world in a self-imposed tension. On the one hand, he's got his justice and his righteousness, and he wants to end all evil right now. And by the way, he is ending much evil right now already. Let, let me tell you something. People, people look at the evil around the world and they say, the devil's in charge, God's not, God's not in charge. Let me tell you something. If the devil was actually in charge of things, things would be a lot worse. This is the thing we forget. We focus in on some of the bad things that are happening and we say, that's proof that God's not in charge. When in actuality, things would be 10 times worse, the human race would actually be long extinct already if God wasn't in charge. He is actively in charge, and right now, he is actively restraining evil, much, much evil. He is stopping the plans of wicked people. I mean, people have had wicked plans for many, many centuries, world domination, all kinds of crazy stuff, and, and genocide, all sorts of stuff, and God is stopping those plans right now. If he wasn't in charge, things would be like 10 times worse. One day we're going to stand before God and he's going to show us all the things he stopped and our mouths are going to be stopped from our complaints of what he did allow. But in the meantime, he's working in this tension. So in his justice and goodness, he is stopping a lot of evil right now. He's stopping a lot. But in his mercy, he's allowing some evil and it's still pretty bad, but it's not nearly as bad as it would be if he wasn't in charge, but he's allowing some evil because in his mercy, he's giving people more time to repent. Now, when Jesus comes back physically onto the earth and sets up God's throne on the earth, the mercy hand is closing. I mean, now, of course, God is merciful all, all the time. It's not like he's going to stop being merciful when Jesus comes back. But in a sense, the mercy hand closes because after that, then people don't have more time to repent. And then it'll just be, now it's justice and goodness all the time. But do you see, does that, does that make a little bit of, of sense to you, all right? So he is in charge, and wickedness isn't proof that he isn't in charge. It's proof of his mercy, all right? Now, of course, um, like we said last week, well, if he's allowing so much evil to happen, um, and you're saying he's in charge of the world, well, then what is he actually doing? Well, I just showed you one thing. He's restraining evil. He's actively restraining lots of evil. We can't even imagine all the stuff he isn't allowing, okay? So that's one thing he's doing. Um, last week we looked at another thing he's doing, and if you could just uh, put those up there. Um, uh, last week we looked at a, another thing that he, he actively does. You say, is he just a figurehead king? Like, I mean, you say he's in charge of the universe. What is he doing? Well, he's restraining evil. Another thing he does is he chooses who our leaders will be. He decides that right now. You look around at world leaders around the world, there isn't a single person in any position of government or power anywhere in Canada or any country in the world that was not specifically raised up by God, okay? And we looked at that last week. And again, some people have a hard time believing this, but again, it doesn't matter what I say. only matters what the Scripture says. And the Scripture is very clear that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men, and He gives them to whomever He wills. Now, this does not mean, obviously, that all world leaders are good. Um, the fact of the matter is that God often raises up even wicked leaders, but He gives, nat he gives nations over to the leaders they deserve. But he is the one in charge of making, these, of making these decisions. That's very important. And on a more personal note, we saw in the scriptures that all riches and honor come from him. In other words, he decides, he decides, he made you with your gifting, your ability, your talents. And he's the one who decides the opportunities you're going to get. And he decides how high you're going to raise in riches and honor and influence in this lifetime. Your choice, your free will choice, is only whether you're going to use that position of honor and riches that he decides you're going to get to, whether you're going to use it for him or whether you're going to use it for yourself or wickedness. That's your choice. But he decides how far up you go or how, or how far down. That's the sovereignty of God. So he's not a figurehead king. He's not just going to be king in the future. He's already king right now. And he's already deciding the highs and lows and where we'll end up and who will be in charge, okay? All of this, very, very important. Now, what I want to do over the next uh, two weeks, today and next week, is I want to show you seven things altogether. So I'll show you five more things. I want to show you that God is actively ruling over and in charge of right now as we speak. 
And what you're going to find, I told you last week that the Bible has a very uh, high view of God's sovereignty, much, 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 much higher than what most of us in this area are raised on. And uh, he is in charge. What you're going to find as we look already today, but then when we get into next week as well, what you're going to find is that God is far more actively involved in the world around you than you ever imagined. And next week, I'm going to show you that he is far more personally involved in your personal life and far more interested in the details of your life than you ever thought possible before. But God is controlling way more things that are going on around you every single day than you ever thought before, all right? So I want you to bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and we'll get into this today. Heavenly Father, I want to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. Every one of us here today, thought up by you out of nothing, Every one of us here, you decided which talents we would have. You decided which family we'd be born into, which opportunities we have. And then you raised us up to the places that we are at today. And so we give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. There is no room for pride in our hearts here today. Father, I pray that as we look today at your sovereignty in the natural realm, Lord, I pray that the fear of God, a proper and appropriate fear of God would take root in our hearts and that we would be refreshed. Father, that we would be refreshed in our spirits by seeing a new revelation of who you are from the Bible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Seven things God actively rules over and does in our world right now, far more active in the world around you than you ever thought before. And uh, I'm only going to get through one, of, one more today, and then we'll have to get through four next week somehow. But um, <laughs> God's sovereignty over the natural realm, he's not a figurehead king, he's actually doing things and thing I want to look at today is that God actually controls all of the weather around the world all the time, okay? So let that sink in a little bit. I know right off the bat that a number of you will be very skeptical about this, all right? I say it, I'm going to show it to you now from many, many scriptures. This is not a minor topic in, in scripture, but uh, most of us for our Western rational mindset, to hear that statement that God controls all the weather around the world all the time Wow, that opens up a few cans of worms. We're a little skeptical of that, and that's because our thinking is, again, very steep. And I've talked about that a lot this year, and we talked about it in the Heaven series in particular. Our thinking is very steeped in some philosoph Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle from thousands of years ago that we have this idea that there's a spiritual world and a physical world, and God is in charge of the spiritual world. So he's in charge of helping people sing hymns better and listening to prayer and doing spiritual things like that and helping people get saved. But the physical world, the weather, that's not God. Okay, God created the world. He sort of wound it up, and then he lets it go, and now he watches the weather take place. And so when we as believers think about the weather, we think, what causes the weather? Well, we got high-pressure systems and low-pressure systems and, and different ocean currents and El Nino and jet streams and all that sort of stuff. And we think, that's what causes the weather, and God just watches these things happen. All right? Now, first of all, you know, before, before I go any further, I'm not denying the science behind meteorology, okay? Although sometimes I do wonder how much of a science it is when the weatherman is as wrong as he is so often, but that's just another, <laughs> it's another thing. You know, I mean, we, let, let me just take a poke. I don't think we have men, many weathermen here, but, uh, or women. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing when you can, what, what kind of a job is that when you can just predict Everything, like today it's going to be partly cloudy and a little bit sunny and 30% chance of rain. Well, you're guaranteed to be right in there somewhere. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, okay, I'm not, uh, I'm not denying the science, you know, I'm not denying the science that, you know, a meteorologist can look at the satellite data and they see a low pressure system moving in and they can predict, okay, well, we're going to have cloudy, rainy weather. I'm not denying that. And I'm not denying, you know, if they see a high-pressure system moving or they see a current change around, they can say, well, we're going to have an El Nino winter. It's going to be warmer than usual. I'm not denying that, that there's a cause and effect between, you know, these different pressure systems and the way they work and then the weather that we see. Obviously, there is that. And obviously, we can study that and we can predict some of the weather that's going to happen in the next uh, short amounts of time by looking at these things. My question isn't, do you know, low-pressure systems cause cloud and rain, and do high-pressure systems you know, bring drier weather? Um, my bigger question is, who caused the high and low-pressure systems? Who made a low-pressure system appear when it did, where it did, and track the way it did at the speed it did in, in, to the places that it did? Who controls that? 
I'm not denying low-pressure system, high-pressure system, and things that they do. What I'm saying, and what I'm going to show you now biblically, is that God is actually manipulating those uh, environmental, those variables. He's manipulating those things and causing the weather he wants. So it's not like magic. I'm not saying that God, you know, causes uh, rain to happen in a high-pressure system. No. If he wants rain to happen, he brings in a low-pressure system. That's what I'm saying. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, now let me show you this from Scripture, many, many Scriptures now, and uh, some of you are wondering, weather in my life, wait till you see how this applies to your life. We'll get into that, right? But Job chapter 37, verse 6, let's be in awe of God. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is giving, given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world or habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. I want you to notice here that God guides the weather systems he commands the weather systems, and he causes them to happen. He causes them to happen. And the reason he does it is for correction and for his land and for love. In other words, he uses the weather. He is in charge of it right now. You say the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? I am showing you this month practically what he's in charge of and what he's controlling. And what it says here is that he decides every morning, it's cloudy out there today because God decided it would be cloudy here today. He decides what it's going to be and then he carries it out. He guides the systems, he commands them, he causes them. And he does it for various reasons. To correct, he uses weather to correct people. He uses weather for the land to keep the plants and the animals and the crops going and also for his love to bless people. But the weather is his tool to correct to take care of the land, and to love people. Now, some of you might be sitting there and you're going, okay, Chris, you, I mean, you found one obscure passage. It's probably poetical. I mean, that's the big thing in Western uh, Christianity. If we don't like what a verse says, it's poetical. That's just poetry. It's symbology. Okay, what does it symbolize? Well, I don't know. We just basically turn the whole Bible into a whole book of symbols when we don't like what we don't, what we don't like, all right? So you might be sitting there saying, you got one passage, it's probably a poem, and is this really teaching in Scripture? There are dozens, and I'm not exaggerating, there are dozens and dozens of Scriptures which attest to exactly that. Let me just show you a few now, okay? I'm just taking through a few more. i got to convince you of this, and then we'll start to look at the implications. Psalm 147, verse 8, 15, 18. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow. How many of you ever thought about that? I wish he would make my grass grow a little slower in summer, but he makes it grow. If he at any point gets bored of grass growing, it doesn't grow anymore. He makes grass grow on the hills. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his his cold. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. So he gives, he makes, he does all of these things with the weather. Okay? Leviticus chapter 26 verses 3 to 4. God promised the Israelites that if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. I will give you, look at that, I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And there's a bunch of other passages which promise the opposite. If they don't obey him, he says, I will withhold the rains. Now, the only way for God to promise that if you're good, you're gonna get, I'm going to give you good rain, and if you're bad, I'm, I'm going to withhold the rain, the only way for him to make these promises is if he's the one that makes the decision about whether it rains or not. He has to be in control of it to be able to say that. Which brings us to the New Testament and Matthew 5 and a stunning statement by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, the first thing I want you to think about there is, I mean, how many of you ever thought about that, that God makes his sun rise every morning? 
He makes his sunrise every morning. How many of you have ever stopped to thank God, thank you that the sun came up again today? See, because according to Jesus, and let me just remind you who Jesus is, he's God. When Jesus talks about God and the weather, he kind of knows what he's talking about. Okay? He was in the beginning. He was with God. He's the one who created all. And he says that the sun comes up every morning because God makes it come up every morning. In other words, God is actively, and we're going to talk about the natural laws. We in the West have this idea, like the natural laws of the universe, God just set them in motion and now he lets them go. The Bible is very clear that if God withdraws his hand or his word, all the natural laws just fall apart. They're gone. He is actively upholding them. So the fact that the earth keeps spinning and the sun keeps coming up day after day after day after day, week after week, century after century, for the thousands of years and however long that the earth has been around, the fact that the sun comes up every single morning is not a testament to the consistency of nature. It is a testament to the faithfulness and consistency of God. So the fact that the sun came up again today is, thank you, Lord, that the sun came up again today. He makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good. Now, this brings up something else because something that's starting to bother me more and more is it's getting, in some senses, cool. It's almost considered spiritual, sometimes for Christians to get on their little hobby horses and get mad at God for the suffering he allows around the world with bad weather. And so what will happen is you have Christians, they'll focus in on something. Why did God allow this earthquake? And by the way, I get, I mean, as Christians, when earthquakes and hurricanes happen, we have got to be the first in line, compassion generosity, loving, empathy. I mean, we've got we've to feel for people who are suffering from weather. But my point is, we've got people that get on their hobby horse, how could God allow this suffering? Look at the suffering, all sorts sort of stuff. And we focus in on the isolated weather events that, have, that do affect thousands of people. I mean, hurricanes and earthquakes affect thousands of people every year. But we focus in on those things. Look at God causing all this suffering. But here's the thing. If you're going to give credit to God for this bad weather, you have to also give credit to him for bringing the sun up in the morning. And these isolated weather events do cause suffering. No question about it. They cause suffering to thousands of people. But the fact that, God, that the sun came up again this morning is good for seven billion of us. His goodness vastly overshadows, but we just focus in. We don't even think to say, thank you, God, that you must, all, you must be a merciful, loving God because you put your son up again this morning so that all seven billion of us could live. We focus on one little isolated weather event that hurt thousands. We say, you can't be a good God or you can't be in charge. He is in charge, he is merciful, and he is good. And if you're going to give him credit for the one, you've got to give him credit for all of it. And Jesus said, he makes his sunrise. If he ever got bored of the human race and just stepped back, the earth would stop spinning and that would be it for the sun coming up and we would all die. That's the sovereignty of God. He is far more actively involved in your life and in this world than you ever imagined. And then Jesus goes on to say that God sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. Jesus' whole point here is that we are supposed to be merciful and loving and and kind just like the Father is. And and Jesus says that we can learn something about God's mercy and love from the weather. Now here's the thing about that. That whole argument is based on the assumption Jesus has that God actually controls the weather. If God doesn't control the weather, if weather just happens, then we can't learn anything about God's character from it. If weather just happens randomly because of high and low pressure systems, then the fact that it rains on evil people and good people is just random chance. It has nothing to do with God. But Jesus says we can learn something about God from the weather, and the reason is because God controls it. So the fact that rain falls on people who don't deserve it is proof every time it happens that God's merciful because he keeps choosing to give them rain even though they don't deserve it. That's the sovereignty of God. I want to look at, again, there's many, many that I'm not even getting into. Literally, there are dozens. This is not a minor teaching in Scripture. Uh, it is vastly important. Now, it's become a minor thing in Christianity these days. We have, a, we, have a very, we have a stunted view of God's sovereignty, a horrible view of God's sovereignty. It's pathetic. And it's part of the reason our worship is so stunted and our prayers are so self-centered and we have very little fear of the Lord. And we have all kinds of wacky theologies that the devil is doing all kinds of stuff that the devil does not have power to do. God makes the weather, okay? But I want to look at uh, uh, several implications of this. Some implications 
the fact that God is literally deciding in every place of the world what the weather will be each day, day in and day out. And the first thing is, is gratitude, gratitude. Okay, gratitude. And I talked about this last week. It's going to come up over and over again throughout this whole series on sovereignty. One of the key responses when you realize how in charge of things God is, the only appropriate response of a human being to this mighty, in charge, king of the universe God is gratitude. I already talked about the fact that we can be grateful every single day that the sun comes up. Okay? But there's even more to it than that. We can be grateful even in a year where the crops, we don't get, you know, as much, the bumper crops we would have liked. And we think, well, how can I be thankful for that? There was too much, you know, there was flooding, there was too much water, there was drought, whatever it is. But every year we can be thankful to God that he gave us enough sun and enough rain that we can all eat. Yes? That's gratitude because he actually did that. The weather didn't just happen this last year, and the weather for the next year won't just happen. It, it, he is choosing and deciding what it will be. And so we can be thankful every year. Thank you that we had enough sun and enough rain and enough plant growth that we, can li- that we ate and lived another year. But see, again, we focus on, we had these ideas of, of how good, of how, we thought this would be good weather, and we got this. We think this is bad weather. We're not thankful. And we don't realize that this is what kept us alive. We can be thankful to God for all of it. Now, of course, some of you here are more wired uh, pessimists. Um, you might be a little negative, and you say, well, Chris, really, honestly, I, we, we're supposed to be grateful to God in all cases. Like, how about last year? You know, we had all this flooding in, in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. L- let me just tell you something, because I want to just bring this really home for you. The Red River and all the other different rivers that flood, I don't even remember which ones flooded last year, but let's just say the Red River, the Red River has never flooded its banks unless God told it to. See, I mean, up to this point, maybe you've been with me because it's all been kind of theological and airy, but let me just bring it home for you what I'm saying. He actually controls the weather around us. It has never flooded except that he said it was supposed to flood. So you say, well, what about all the flooding we had in our province, you know, this year and last year? If, if that came from him, how are we supposed to be thankful for that? Well, again, I'll just point you briefly back the fact that the sun kept coming up and we're all still alive. But even more than that, yeah, I get that sometimes it's not just something we feel like being thankful for, but there's another reason for the weather too, and that's not just supposed to make us thankful to God, it's also supposed to make us dependent on Him. And so when God sends a flood, it's not necessarily, and we'll get into this a little later, it's not, He doesn't necessarily send a flood or bad weather because He's mad. Sometimes He's just doing it, He just wants us to depend on Him. But he sent it all. It was all from him. And so when we get, so weather should always draw us closer to God. Always. If it's good, it should draw us to him. Thank you, Lord. And when it's bad, it should draw us to him. Father, we're going to have to depend on you to make up the shortfall. We're going to have to depend on you more this year. We're going to have to rest on you more. And God says, yes. The weather is one of his tools to draw us into himself. And dependency in prayer is huge. Now think about this. Think about, again, this whole message on the sovereignty of God, one of the underlying themes, I mean, one underlying theme of this whole series is gratitude. Another underlying theme of this whole series is prayer. Last week we talked about the fact that God is actually the one who chooses who the world's leaders will be. Why wouldn't you want to pray to him? And now today I'm telling you that God is the one who decides what the weather will be. Why would you not want to pray to him? He has given us the almost unthinkable privilege. Think about this. The almost unthinkable privilege. We don't have to go through an angel. We don't have to send an email and make an appointment for two months from now. We don't have to do any of that intermediate. He has given us the almost unthinkable presence or, or privilege of going straight into his presence whenever we want through prayer. I mean, it's, it's almost unimaginable. And when you go into his presence... You're actually praying to the one who decides what the weather will be. You're praying to the one who can change it. Why would you not want to pray? James 5, 17 to 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. That's what can happen. He was a man just like us. He was a normal human being, in other words. He wasn't super spiritual. He was a normal human being. And this is what can happen when a normal human being goes into the presence of the one who decides what the weather will be. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man just like us. 
Now, of course, I'm not saying that you can go to God every day and get the weather you want because, I mean, we'd all be, God is getting peppered probably then with hundreds of different weather requests every day. And he can't answer all of them, right? He can't make it sunny and rainy at the same time. I'm not saying that, you know, every time the weather's not how you like it, you should go and pray for the weather to change. But what I'm saying is, if the church would repent, 2 Chronicles 7.14, when disasters come on a nation, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Okay? So it's not always that he's going to just change the weather to, you know, we want to go to the beach today. Okay? God isn't our, you know, heavenly slot machine to get whatever we want. But at the very least, we can go into his presence. And even if he's not going to change the weather, he might just say, you know what, I'm not changing the weather this time. But then you say, well, then I've got to just depend on you. And he says, that's right. But the church... The church, we can pray and we can see God heal our land and do these things because he's in, in charge. Now again, our modern Christian mindset is, is, is ruining, is, is, has made us infinitely poorer in this. You know, ancient peoples in this, in this sense were far ahead of us in this area. Because, now, so some of them believed in the wrong God. But the ancient peoples... They believed totally that the weather was controlled by the gods. So weather always reminded them of God. Now again, some of them prayed to the wrong gods. So that was, that, I mean, that's not good. But they were ahead of us in the sense that weather was always a reminder to either be thankful. And when it was good, they gave thanks to, the, to God. And when it was bad, they prayed to God. But our Western Christian mindsets have convinced us that God and the weather, that's not the same thing. And so when we have good weather, the first thought in our mind isn't thank you, Jesus. It's cool. And when the weather is really bad, our first thought is not call a prayer meeting and let's get the church together and see what God's doing. We've got to depend on it more. That's the last thing from our minds. We want to just complain. We want to read the weather reports. Hopefully it's going to turn around. That's from our, that's, I, mean, I mean, many of you, you have, uh, you know, on your cell phones, if you want to remember something uh, really important, like a meeting or a birthday, then you just take that date and you put it into your cell phone so that on the day it reminds you, right? And then... It reminds you, oh yeah, today is so-and-so's birthday or today I have that meeting. Um, weather is one of God's beepers to remind us about him. But our pathetic view of God's sovereignty and our bad theology has turned off the beeper. We can't even hear it anymore. Weather happens all around us all the time and it does not cause us to think about God. Third implication of the fact that God controls all the weather all the time is that some bad weather is because of God's judgment. Some bad weather is judgment from God, okay? The fact that God is in control of all the weather all the time means that sometimes, certainly, bad weather is judgment from Him. Now, I do want to focus here for just a moment. Before I get started on this point, I want you to notice the word some, okay? I want you to notice the word some because this is where some of the quacks and the kooks come out, of the, come out of the woodwork, okay? And I know we don't have any of them here in this church. Thank God they all go to the different churches in this town. But, but uh, just to make sure, <laughs> some, I'm not saying all bad weather is judgment from God. I'm saying some bad weather. If he's in control of all the weather, then sometimes that bad weather is certainly going to be judgment from him, but not all of it. And I don't want people going out of this message now, and every time they see a tornado, hurricane, earthquake, they're going to say right away, that was judgment on that town or judgment on that country. Some, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But let me just prove to you, first of all, that it's, it's not all bad weather is judgment from God, okay? And um, the first thing you need to know is that all bad weather isn't always bad, Okay? Bad weather isn't always bad. That's the first thing you need to know. For example, did you know that earthquakes are absolutely essential for sustaining human life on this planet? Did you know that? Probably very, very few of you, I'm assuming, knew that. Okay? Um, earthquakes are absolutely essential. We, when we hear about an earthquake, I mean, we think, earthquakes, that's the result of sin. Okay? Earthquakes are bad. Earthquakes hurt people. And it is true that earthquakes do cause suffering on the earth. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, some people might have been tempted to pray over the years, God, I pray that you would stop earthquakes. And I thank God that he does not listen to all of our prayers because many of our prayers are dumb, okay? 
And so someone, you know, we could all get together and pray, Lord, I pray that earthquakes would forever stop. Do you know that if, earth, if God answered that prayer and stopped all the earthquakes on planet Earth, if you want to see what planet Earth would look like in not too, too long a time, look at pictures of the planet Mars. It's just a frozen dead ball. That's what Earth would look like without earthquakes. So here's the thing you need to understand about earthquakes. Um, first of all, a little geology lesson, okay? Just quick. Some of you are going, what in the world? I came to church not soon, but just stick with me, okay? <laughs> Uh, let, me, let me tell you what, what causes earthquakes, okay? The, the reason we have earthquakes, Earth is a very uh, unique planet, very, very unique. And the shell of our Earth is not solid, okay? It's not solid. And of course, as you all know, the inside of Earth is, is a molten core. It's a liquid core. But the Earth, the shell is, is not solid. It's made up of different pieces, okay? And uh, by the way, this is extremely unique. There isn't another planet like it in our solar system, for sure. All the other planets in our solar system have a hard shell. And in fact, um, most planets in the entire universe have hard shells. It's only a very, very tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of planets in the whole universe that have where their crust is made up of different pieces, okay? And the reason, again, is God made the earth for life. Now, one of the things with having a crust made up of different pieces, and these pieces are floating around on top of this, this, this hot inner core, um, is that as they move, of course, that's what causes earthquakes because as one piece goes or plate goes under another one or as they pull apart, there's a tremendous release of energy, which, of course, again, if people are in the area, can cause tremendous amounts of damage and suffering. And, of course, our hearts go out to those people, yes. But if God stopped earthquakes altogether in order to save uh, some thousands of people, he would end up killing billions because... Earthquakes actually do a lot of things that keep life going. Let me just tell you two. For example, one thing that earthquakes do, which is extremely, extremely important for life on earth, is this. As one plate or piece of crust gets forced under tremendous amounts of pressure under another plate or piece of the crust, what happens is that vast amounts of ocean water under high pressure, vast amounts of ocean water get squeezed down between those cracks and get forced through huge amounts of ocean water, get forced through the cracks, and they get forced down into the crust, into the rocks of the crust itself, okay? And then through a bunch, through a various number of processes, including other earthquakes, they get brought back up and then put back into the oceans, okay? So one of the effects of earthquakes is that it cycles the water through the rocks of the Earth's crust. And you say, well, what does that do? Well, I'm not even going to get into what it does for the Earth's soil. It's very important for plant growth. But another thing it does is it has the effect of putting carbon dioxide into the ocean or sometimes even taking it out. And you say, well, what's the big idea about that? Well, carbon dioxide is actually a super important uh, gas that needs to be in Earth's atmosphere in order for life to exist because carbon dioxide actually keeps the Earth warm, okay? If we didn't have earthquakes, if God stopped all earthquakes from happening, okay, earthquakes actually have the effect of regulating the amount of carbon dioxide we have in our atmosphere. If God stopped all the earthquakes today, it wouldn't take very long and all the carbon dioxide in our atmosphere would leach away into space. And if it leached away into space, what you would have then is all of our temperatures would freeze, we, they would just plunge, everything would die and you would end up with the planet Mars. So we actually need earthquakes. Another thing earthquakes do, I, I mentioned the soil thing before, which they do through the oceans and then it washes up on shore, but earthquakes actually directly bring up minerals and nutrients from in the core and metals also for mining. Directly, the earthquakes pull those things up and plant them uh, you know, in our soils and stuff. If there was no such thing as earthquakes, all of our plants would eventually use up all the food in our soil, then our plants would die, animals would die, and we would all die, seven billion of us. So I say all of this to say, some earthquakes are good. Thank God for some earthquakes. And again, people think that earthquakes are the result of sin. That's not, earthquakes aren't the result of sin. This is a unique planet that God created with earthquakes right from the beginning. If there was no sin on the earth, it'd be different because then we'd be in partnership with God and he'd be here with us and he'd tell us, uh, by the way, we need to have an earthquake over there uh, a week from now, so let's just clear that area out. And he would protect us from it. But it's not that you wouldn't have earthquakes. You need earthquakes for life here on planet Earth. And by the way, same with hurricanes. People think hurricanes, all they do is cause suffering. Um, hurricanes actually do lots and lots of very important things for the, for the planet. One thing is they actually suck massive, massive amounts of heat energy and they suck the, that heat energy away from the equator and away from the tro tropics and they move it uh, northward or southward depending on which side of the globe they're on. But they suck massive amounts of heat energy away from the equator. 
If there was no such things as hurricanes on the earth, then all of the land in that band in the tropics and around the equator would bake, absolutely bake, and no one would be able to survive there. So some, earth, some hurricanes have been here since the beginning before sin, and so have some earthquakes. Now, we don't want to have too many. And this brings me now to the next point, which is, okay, so the first point is some. So it's not all. Some of them we need. Some earthquakes are not judgment, and some hurricanes are not judgment. Now, but we also don't want to make the mistake that the vast majority of Christians are making today, the vast majority of Christians today, believe that hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and natural disasters are never judgment from God. And we don't want to make that mistake either. We don't believe all of them are because some of them are good for human life. But we don't want to believe that they're never judgment from God because then we're going to miss his warning bells. I want to take you back to Job. We read this passage before and I'm going to, we're going to go to Haggai. But Sometimes bad weather and disaster is judgment from God and we need to pay attention. Job chapter 37, verse 6. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour is mighty downpour. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for his love, which I talked about before, he caused it to happen. But one of the reasons God causes weather to happen is for correction. There's no doubt about it. This is in the Bible. And now I want to show you an example of it in Haggai chapter 1. And let me just give you a little background. Haggai is one of those uh, books of the Bible that many Christians don't even realize exists. And um, uh, it's got two chapters in it, wonderful little book. And, uh, and so here's what's happening in Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, the Israelites are neglecting the temple, okay? Now, of course, we don't have a temple today. Um, but essentially what's happening, and God is upset at them, is they are neglecting their walk with God. They're, they're, they're neglecting to love God and pursue God. They're not loving God wholeheartedly, and instead, they are pursuing materialism and luxury and pleasure. Does that sound familiar to anyone, by the way? That's not happening anywhere in the world today. No, no, no. materialism, ignoring God, no. That, and certainly not in Canada. But anyway, that's what the Israelites were doing in Haggai chapter 1. And so God, in response to this, okay, so the Israelites are ignoring him, and they're pursuing pleasure and materialism, and God, in response, does a few things. Uh, one thing he does is he punches a few holes in the economy so that no matter how hard they work, they can't get ahead and wealth keeps draining out. Hmm. <laughs> Familiar, I don't know. He also causes crop failures and he causes freakish weather. So let's read this, shall we? Okay. It's almost like reading a newspaper, okay? <laughs> then the Lord sent his mess this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? In other words, why are you spending all your time and energy and money on yourself instead of pursuing me? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Pay attention. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. God says, I'm messing up your crops. I'm messing up, and we're going to see in the next few verses, your weather. I'm messing up your economy, and I'm doing it because I want you to pay attention. He's sovereign, and he's in charge. He can do all these things. Look what's happening to you. You know what that means? That means the Israelites should, should be able to look at, hey, we've got problems in the economy. We've got problems in the weather. We've got problems with the crop, crops. They should be able to look at those three things and think God is trying to get our attention. But again, here in the West... He can do any of those things he wants. He can do them as severe as he wants. He won't get our attention because we don't believe he does those things. But according to God, they should be able to look. Look what's happening to you. They should be able to look at these things, economy, weather, crops, and they should be able to figure out that something's wrong and he's trying to get their attention. So we carry on. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Look again. Pay attention. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. 
It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills. That's the sovereignty of God. There is just pathetic theology out there today that says if it's bad, it's from the devil. By the way, that's scary. If the devil's the one who caused the drought, then who do you turn to for help? Who are you going to get mercy from? If the devil caused the hurricane, you're going to ask him for mercy? Is he going to give it to you? If the devil caused the outbreak of tornadoes, if the devil caused the earthquake, you're going to go to him for mercy? You want to know what's more comforting? Is good theology. If God caused it, that means pay attention to him, repent, and he can take care of you. I called, God said, I called for a drought on your hills. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. This is the sovereignty of God. He decides what the weather will be. He decides if, he's gonna, what he's, if he wants to squeeze our economy, he decides to do it. He decides how much produce our soil will give every year, whether it's going to be higher or whether it's going to be lower. And sometimes he will use these things to get our attention and make us repent. And he doesn't do this. Now, some of you are sitting there, wow, this is a hard view of God. No, it isn't. Say, this is a harsh God ruining all this sort of stuff. That's not the God I know. And, and then we talk about this lovey, blessy God that's completely unlike anything in the Bible. But that's the God we want. The one who just, you know, rainbows, happiness, and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and we think, the God you're preaching about, Chris, is is a sadistic God. Well, first of all, remember, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what the Bible says. That's the thing that actually matters. But the second thing you need to know is this is not because God is sadistic or hard. Here's the thing about God. He actually has an eternal perspective. And what he sees at the end of everything is hell. And he knows that the worst possible outcome for any human being is to live a life of godlessness and then have to spend forever and ever and ever without end in hell. So because God can see that, and we rarely pay attention to it, he is more than willing to use weather and economic crises and those sorts of things to cause short-term pain and suffering to get our attention so we'll look back at him and be saved from hell. It's not because he's sadistic. He uses hurricanes, earthquakes, and tornadoes and droughts to save people from hell. Because he is not satisfied to just give us rainbows, lollipops, and all that kind of stuff as we head on to hell happily. And then, oh, at the end, oh, shoot. <laughs> he says, no, I'll get your attention now, and I'll use weather to do it. Problem is today that bad theology is keeping people from paying attention. This idea that God and the weather, that we don't associate the two things, means that this is a warning bell. He's given us a warning bell and because of bad theology, most Christians have got plugs stuck way deep in their ears. And God is flicking alarm bells on all around the world right now. And he wants to wake up the Christian church to 2 Chronicles 7.14, which is if my people will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and repent, all sorts of stuff, then I will turn and heal their land. If they'll listen to the warning bells and turn to me, I'll save them. But because we don't believe he controls the weather, we can't hear the bells. So he turn, he's turning on warning alarm bells all around the world right now, but the Christian church isn't waking up because we've got stuff stuffed in our ears. We've got stuff stuffed in our ears. And all over the world right now, I mean, last year was the most expensive year in world history in terms of natural disasters ever. And some of the most expensive ones of all time, have all happened within the last decade. And we've got economic shocks hitting the world financial system, not just one country anymore. It used to be a country would crash, another country would crash. We've got economic crises now hitting the world financial system with increasing frequency at increasingly shorter intervals with increased severity and intensity. But the last thing most churches around the world wants to do is pray. Because we don't think God's not, that's not part of his portfolio. The world economy, he's not in charge of that. We're, economic crises are caused by various economic variables. Well, there's no question that economic variables are causing these things, but who's manipulating the variables? He's the one in charge. And he's using all of these things. Will you pay attention? 
But this whole thing is being made worse by a raft of false teachers out there right now. A raft of false teachers. Some of the most popular ones on Christian TV right now, their faces beaming out at us from the cover of their books, hyper-popular, blessing, blessing preachers, and they're telling us, and I've looked at this, I've seen it with my own eyes. You read it, I've read it. I've heard it in their messages. And you read it, God doesn't judge nations anymore. And they just stuffed another plug in someone's ear. And I read it in their books. Their natural disasters are never from God. And always I want to ask them, I wish they had a 1-800 number. Then who sent it? If God didn't do it, who did it? If God didn't do it, who did it? But they're wadding it up. What would you say to someone who came into your house and put wadding inside your smoke alarm so if there was a fire you couldn't hear the beeper? That's what they're doing. God didn't send it. Amos 3 verse 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Amos, under the power of the Holy Spirit, asks a very good question. Can disaster come on a city? Any kind of disaster. Can disaster come on a city and God didn't call for it? Not a chance. And again, you say, that's a hard view of God. No, that is the most comforting thing we can think because if God sent it, you can turn to him and find his mercy. If the devil sent it, there's no hope. You better run away. Isaiah chapter 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. That's the God we serve. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is sovereign over the weather. And that means when we get good weather, we should be reminded of him to be grateful and to praise him. And when we get bad weather, we should turn to him and seek his mercy and help. I want to finish this message going back to Haggai chapter 1 because the Haggai chapter 1 passage I read you a few minutes ago actually has a good ending. Has a good ending. God put the squeeze on their economy. He caused their crops to fail. He sent a drought on their land. But then the people listened to the warning bells. They heard them because they knew God was in charge. Unlike much of the Christian church today, which hasn't figured out that God's in charge of those things, the Israelites knew he was in charge, and that's what saved them. Look at this. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Yeshua, son of Jehozadak. I would like to ask his mother and father in heaven someday why. But anyway, um, <laughs> the high priest and the, prophet had, uh, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. They made the connection. Weather's from God. God's upset. We're going to turn back to him. And they obeyed the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, look at this, the people feared the Lord. When you get an understanding of the sovereignty of God, you're going to get the proper fear of God, which is essential. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, look at the ending. What a great ending. Gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. May this be our ending here at Southland and our ending as a nation here in Canada. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, all praise and honor and glory goes to you. You are the one who rules over the kingdoms of men. You are the one who rules over the natural realm. Father, I pray that you would begin, I pray for your hand to begin to, to move biblical theology back into the church here in the West. So that we can hear your alarm bells, so that we can hear what you're saying, so that we can worship you acceptably with reverence and awe. And I pray, Father, that as we study this stuff in our church here at Southland, first of all, that a spirit of prayer would take hold in this church. And second of all, Lord, I pray that the fear of the Lord would take root in our hearts, the proper fear of God that leads to wisdom, that leads to humility and a proper walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.